What are you listening to for the next half hour? Think again, my friend. That helps me keep from just like eating cashews or trail mix or almonds like all day. You guys, I just had a thought. Hmm? We should have do a show about nuts. Snacks. We should uh, we should have a quiz show where we ask ourselves questions. I mean, we don't mm. ask ourselves questions, but like it's the same contestants every mm. time, but like not famous people. I at, see. At least not yet. Yeah. You know. This sounds this sounds like fun. Yeah. We could call it Think Again, my friend. <laughs> oh, that's fun because like we're all friends. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and we didn't think the first time. No. <laughs> or we did, but just, we did you know. And did a bad job. <laughs> do it again because um, you need to or just because it's fun. I'm your host, Mike Sugarbaker. Will the panelists uh, introduce themselves starting to my left? I am Kristen McCurdy, and there are green, smiley, happy faces on my phone today, which I'm happy about. I'm happy to see them. I don't know what they mean. Are they like, are they barf emojis? No. 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 They're just happy. Cool. It means the air is good. Happy green air. But faces. I don't know what good air is. My name's Brendan Adkins, and I'm almost done writing this question. <laughs> uh, my name's Ed Hawkins. I am not the Australian half of air supply. All right. So the first thing I'm, I'm going to insist on doing is, yes, we record this show in Portland, Oregon. Yes, we're recording this show at the end of August. We swear to God we thought of this topic months ago. <laughs> months ago. Yeah, we are not trying to be topical here. That is not our jam. <clears throat> yeah. Especially I mean, since this won't like be released until December. No, yeah. probably not. Yeah. yeah. This is actually the Christmas episode. We were thinking of winter inversions. I can't wait to find out what kind of forest fire we have in December. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of those cold fires. Christmas fire. <laughs> so, yeah. If, Ooh, we, if we are... Christmas trees burning down. So sad. Yeah. If we are topical um, this episode, it's not on purpose and don't expect it in the future. Topical only, not fit for human consumption. Yes. <laughs> Ed, would you like to start us with a question? Certainly. Although Earth's atmosphere is composed of almost 79% nitrogen... That nitrogen is relatively inert in the atmosphere and does not easily react with other chemicals to form new compounds. Fixation is the process by which nitrogen atoms are freed from their triply bonded diatomic form. And this process is catalyzed by A, lightning, B, kudzu, or C, the Haber process. All of the above. Is the Haber process when you when some kudzu gets hit by lightning? <laughs> That's just a salad. <laughs> I'm going to say lightning. I'm going to say kudzu because it's fun to say. All good, all good answers because Brendan's right. They are all catalysts for nitrogen fixation. Mm. Oh. It's interesting because nitrogen is an essential building block of essentially all plant and animal life on the planet, but it is unabsorbable in its natural atmospheric form. It requires either bacterial generation, lightning to break down... Um, nucleotides, which I thought was just something Star Trek invented. Turns out it's, it's real. Um, uh, the Haber process is this ludicrous industrial process by which almost all nitrogen is processed to form industrial ammonia, and it involves um, hilarious amounts of temperature and pressures 
in gigantic steel reservoirs. Yeah, you gotta habe the crap out of you gotta, it. You gotta habe that shit. There's probably a Bill Hader joke in there too, but I couldn't We're come Maggie up. Maggie Haberman joke. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Let's go back later. You know, <laughs> yeah, let's circle back on that. <clears throat> we'll cut that in. Uh, but yeah, also kudzu is one of the uh, is one of the many um, legume sourced. I don't know why kudzu legume, but apparently yeah, it's right? in the same family. It's one. It's uh, legumes are an important bacterial contributor. Uh, what was the other one? Like alder trees, and um, they they collect a bunch of these uh, uh, nitrogenous nucleotides, and then when they die, they release it all into the atmosphere and the mm. soil. Uh, lavender, I've heard, it's good at fixing uh, nitrogen into the soil. Mm. Interesting. One time, I took a road trip through uh, the wine country in California, and just it was the time of year where you know some fields, at least, you know, were out of rotation. They were just growing lavender as far as the eye could see. Yeah. I have no memories about lavender products in the gift shops in that area in particular, but I'm sure there's a there's a, a festival. No, they boil it all down. That that becomes drugs. It's, okay. Yeah. Shoot it right into my veins, Daddy. Um, <laughs> Kristen wants some lavender right now. I do. <laughs> it sounds really, really good to me today. All right. Why don't you ask us a question instead? Um, okay. Um, so what is the miasma theory or bad air? Is it A... A concept in epigenetics linking hereditary conditions seemingly unrelated to respiration, such as obesity, with air pollution. B, a now obsolete medical theory linking epidemics with foul-smelling air. Or C, both A and B. Would they reuse the word to to do to refer to something else? Well, I mean, it's like when NASA talks about the phlogiston. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a thing that mm-hmm. still happens. As they do. <laughs> That's a, the, when a word's the new album by around. the Long Winters coming out this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it is at least B. But, uh, yeah. Well, I, I say it's at least A. I'm, I'm going to admit that I was trying to think of a brunch cocktail joke and wasn't listening to the answers. But I suspect. You, you pulled a Kristen. <laughs> I suspect it's A. <laughs> Uh, it is B. Damn it. Yeah, miasma theory was what predated germ theory, basically. Yes. And it was around four centuries. It was the prevailing theory in public health. And it uh, it was very one of the reasons it was really hard to sort of disassemble um, was that it, especially as society is urbanized, um, and we started seeing bigger concentrations of people, which meant more epidemics, plagues, etc., city officials were like or government officials in general were just sort of like okay we need to start cleaning these places up so that they don't stink all the time and there was there ended up being something to that they they that did result in less disease because there were less you know rats mm-hmm. running around eating garbage etc so it was very very hard to um convince people that there was any other way that disease could be spread <laughs> also apparently there was a sort of very similar theory called night air which suggested that if you go yeah. out at night Whoa. you will breathe bad night air oh bad and night that air. is that is what <laughs> that is what will cause you to um get whatever diseases might be floating around in that city that wow. was a plot element in uh, the little house on the prairie if i recall mm. correctly uh pa wilder breathed some bad night air and got sick was the hypothesis uh, in fact he was probably just fucking sick 
Probably, probably not from <laughs> yeah. that fighty gun with a railroad bull. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I love the idea that a uh, that a scientific theory could just, if it falls out of favor, then we might just reuse the name for a different theory. It's, li- <laughs> it's, it's like the soft reboot, but for science yeah. instead of Hollywood. That's just, how we got want, good humor ice cream. Familiarity. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I was clearly just phoning it in on that. Like, I just didn't want to think of a third thing, but <laughs> you got two thirds of us. <laughs> but yeah, but apparently that was a, that was a really straight facts. That's how to obfuscation strategy. <laughs> Look, familiarity with the name is what is going to get our peers to review our paper, <laughs> and that's why phrenology is what we're going to move forward with. Brendan. What do you got? It's going to work this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, just well, higher resolution skull imagery. Um, yeah. Well, it's phrenology with an F. That's. <laughs> yeah. It's not about, it's not racist. It's not about skulls. God, no. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, on, I'm not racist, but what <laughs> is the highest recorded percentage of humidity in Earth's atmosphere that does not count as just being underwater? Mm. I'm going right at 50%. I'm going to anchor us neutrally. Mm, okay. Well, I recall in 1992 when I stepped off the airplane in Bahrain for the to join my friends with the Gulf War. It was 1 a.m. and 102 percent humidity. No, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, 101 percent humidity and 102 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, and that was, I thought, the tops of it. So I'm going to go with 102 percent humidity. You you set the record. <laughs> Like probably when you were breathing out, <laughs> it got to one oh two point one percent, and that was all you. Uh, oh, oh, really? That was that was. No, I'm not, I'm not answering the question. Oh, I see. Theorizing. <laughs> I just naturally assumed I was right. Kristen has to answer still. Uh, I'm gonna say ninety-eight percent. Uh, the answer is nobody knows, as far as I can tell. Uh, but it is possible in Earth's atmosphere to for the air to become supersaturated, to have higher than one hundred percent humidity. Um, but the air has to have very low particulate matter um, oh, because mm-hmm. otherwise the water will condense mm-hmm. and it stops being vapor. So if you get up about 20, 25,000 feet, um, you can have percentages of humidity that are quite a bit higher than 100%. Interesting. Um, because there's wow. just no particulate matter in the air. I don't understand humidity at all. Yeah. And I aim to keep it that way <laughs> by living on the West Coast of the United States. Every time I've told that story to people, somebody has responded with, how can it be 101% humidity? 100% humidity is water. And I'm like, <laughs> no. well, I don't know. I don't know. All it's I can a saturation. Tell you, like, you yeah. know, you can have a super solute in lots of different situations if you just have a proportion of something that is greater than it should be able to dissolve, um, but just can't condense or crystallize or whatever. Yeah, it's like it's like hypersaturated salt water. Yeah, that only crystallizes at certain temperatures. Yeah. All right, Ed, you want to hit us again? I can. Do you want to? I shall. (laughs) If you okay. (laughs) Where on Earth can you experience the greatest air density? Density. You got to take a swing at this. I'm not going to give you any hints. I'm going to go ahead and say between my ears, Ed. Between your ears. Excellent. I'm going to write that one down. Oh, that's how it works. It's just extremely dense air. Yeah, but also empty. Right. Mm, mm, mm. Now I suddenly understand that expression. <laughs> Your density? Yeah, like yeah. When, when you say mm. that someone's dense. How far do you get below sea level without going under the sea? 
Oh, excellent question. Yeah. Um, and I only say that because I know the answer. Okay. Yeah. So is it Death Valley? Or whatever? Yeah, but Death Valley's hot. Death Valley is hot. But it, it could have very... Oh, yeah, because hot air doesn't stay dense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a question about high-pressure systems versus low-pressure systems, which I now might not ask. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to say the bottom of the Marianas Trench. If you, if you do get some air down there, it will yeah, be very that dense. that makes sense. Oh, interesting. That, well, that's an angle I hadn't considered. <laughs> did Kristen, did you have a... Well, I wasn't really listening to the oh, question. So, um, I'm going to say Antarctica. Antarctica. That's a good guess. So the um, where's the where's my answer here? Hmm. So the uh, the answer is the Kid Mine in Ontario, Canada. It's the deepest dug mine in the planet. Oh, However, not. Death Valley and the Dead Sea are both close. Uh, yeah. Death, Death Valley, um, eighty-five meters below sea level, and that's about one percent above normal air density. Uh, the Dead Sea is about 413 meters below sea level at about uh, 1,065 hectopascals, which is approximately 5% higher than normal. You just made up those Hectopascal. <laughs> Interestingly enough, atmospheric pressures measured in hectopascals, but normal pressures measured in kilopascals? I don't know why necessarily. Uh, the Kid Mine in Timmins, Canada, Ontario starts at 270 meters above sea level and goes to 3,044 meters below the surface. Ooh. As of January 2018, they're still digging. Pressure at the bottom <laughs> is 1,600 hectopascals. Has anyone told them to stop? I don't, they don't seem interested. It's a, so it's a base metal mine, <laughs> interestingly enough. Yeah. So they just they keep digging. They keep getting stuff out. Why stop? I mean, I've played Minecraft to know, long enough to know that you just don't stop mining ever. No, you do. There's, there's bedrock. <laughs> Yeah, just get it all out of there. Here's the problem with that mine. There's a lot of bad night air at the bottom. uh, For reference, 1,600 um, hectopascals is about 23 PSI. Oh. Okay. Wait, I'm sorry. That's the the air pressure at the bottom of the mine? Yeah. So you don't, like, need a pressure suit or anything? You can just inflate a tire (laughs) by, like, waving it around. I did, and I did see a picture of the bottom of the deepest shaft, and it was a bunch of guys just standing around at construction (laughs) houses. So I presume it's either pressurized in some fashion or they go through depressurization as they descend. I mean, yeah. 3,000 meters is no joke you either now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. I have a question. There are some ways to launch roller coasters. Mm-hmm. One of them is pneumatic compressed air. One of them is hydraulic, which for this particular field of engineering seems to actually mean nitrogen gas a lot of the time. I guess that's technically hydraulic. And then, of course, uh, there are the uh, magnetic launches that propel you like a people mover, but faster. Mm. And uh, there are even physical launches that just, you know, have a, a cable connected to you and there's a flywheel and just pulls, winds up that cable real, real fast. Um. <clears throat> energy, energy, just bringing the energy of the show up right now <laughs> by, <laughs> by a whole lot. Uh, yeah, so which kind is fastest? <sighs> if you measure by acceleration, which can get you going the fastest? The fastest. 
I feel like I have to say pneumatic. Like that seems to have the most explosive potential to me. I'm 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 gonna go with magnetic acceleration. Okay. I mean if you if you do want to like put a roller coaster on a rail gun, I suppose <laughs> that's I mean if you did want to ra- launch a roller coaster car into orbit. You <laughs> <laughs> can do that in roller coaster tycoon four, I think, but oh. not three. I'm going to say pneumatic, and I don't have a reason. Well, the reason is that, of course, it's pneumatic, because this is the air show. <laughs> hey! Yes. Pneuma- there is a, a tangent. The current world record holder for acceleration uh, for a roller coaster is Dodonpa in Japan. Mm. It'll accelerate uh, from 0 to 106.9 miles per hour in 1.8 seconds. <laughs> yeah. That sounds I'm, deadly. I'm never going to Japan. <laughs> And I'm, that is the standard in Japan for all roller coasters. Yeah, that's how the bullet trains work. <laughs> Just shoot you. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, it's I don't think it's the top speed for a coaster. I don't think it stays at that speed very long. Um, how many G's is that, though? 1.6 seconds at 169 miles an hour, 1.6 seconds. 106.9. 106 miles an hour, 1.6 seconds. That's really high. That's like maybe they did an experiment and somebody's eyes got crushed on the salt flats high. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Let's have another question now after that. <laughs> yes. Yes, very much. According to Wikipedia, how many people have at one time been members of the band Air Supply? Is the answer A, 12, B, 28, or C, 3? I'm going to say indefinite. Because, you know, supply's still going. Mm, still mm, open. Mm. It was, it, there is still plenty of air. It's like B an air was 28. Was, yeah, I'm going to say B. I'm going to say 12 to date. The answer is B. And, I, and I only know that because I uh, did an extensive <laughs> reading of the air supply uh, Wikipedia page, thinking <laughs> there might be something valuable in there. Someone else found it, not me. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> and there are a ludicrous number of people in that band. How many yeah. of them were named Ed Hawkins? Well, there I think there are only two in the band currently, but the list of former, like current and former members, was I counted twenty eight people. It's is, like one of those Greek paradoxes, where yeah. like, yeah, is point? anyone who started the band still in the band, or is it like with the Dwarven <laughs> yeah, Axe thing? I don't remember. Okay, I did not read that carefully. Wait, the Dwarven Axe? Well, you know, the the it's my my axe is the yeah, but I've heard it was George yeah. Washington's axe. That's the formulation of it that I've heard. Oh, there are many different ways to tell it. I thought it was um, from Terry Pratchett. Oh, I think yeah, that, that that he almost definitely popularized it. Okay, but yeah, I've heard this. This is an artifact. This is an antique. This is George Washington's axe. Okay, it's had three new heads and two new handles since then. But it's his axe. <laughs> Ed, I know you have a surfeit of questions. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, let's see. A rain that follows a long dry spell has a characteristic odor due to what organic compound? Petrichor. Petrichor! petrichor. I don't know if that's actually Is that everybody's answer? the name of the smell. Interestingly, petrichor is the name of the smell, yeah. <laughs> not the substance. The substance is called oh, yeah. geosmin. G-E-O-S-M-I-N. It's an organic compound. I'm making up a lot of words on this show. That is not a fun word to check, yell. Check, <laughs> check, out, check out the um, composition of this compound c12 h22o 
Whoa. That's complicated. Yeah. That sounds like you could use it to, like, drive a car. So it's an organic compound released by the bacteria Streptomyces. 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 <laughs> and it's responsible for, it's largely responsible for that small petrichor. I didn't know that. Follow-up question. How sensitive are humans to geosmim? A, five parts per million. B, five parts per billion. Or C, five parts per trillion. I don't think sensitivity can be measured like that. I think it's a, I think it's a much more nebulous concept. Uh, <laughs> five well, parts per trillion. I did not perform this <laughs> measurement myself. I'm going to say five parts per jillion. Per jillion. Okay. I'm going billion. Billion. It is indeed five parts per trillion. Wow. Which is uh, there? There's a lot of there's a lot of speculation that um, our sensitivity to geosmim in particular relates to our capacity to find water and survive. Uh, and interestingly, that uh, geosmim and petrichor um, are in a variety of food items as well, mm. which give it that kind of earthy, that earthy flavor. Wow. I think geosmim sounds like a like a creepy biological process. I think it sounds like a Captain Planet bad guy. What you're saying is that this is the MSG of the world. <laughs> it's the MSG of the planet Earth. Yeah. Mm. Brendan, do you have another? Oh, I've got a question, and it's got several follow-up questions. So brace yourselves. I think you skipped me, dude. You were going backwards. We, yeah, oh, we went... I don't know what's happening. We went out of order, so I thought maybe Brendan um, I, was I, due. I can hand it off to Kristen. No, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Be, it's okay. I'm a, no longer upset. <laughs> I'm very so sorry. So you guys may already know the story. I did not know the story until very recently, like about 20 minutes ago. But... Uh, <laughs> The Portland Trailblazers got the second draft pick in the 1984 NBA draft. Uh, do you Air know? Jordan. No. <laughs> it's the Trailblazers. <laughs> Who did they pick in 1984? Are you sure I, it wasn't Air Jordan? I have literally no way of knowing this. Yeah. I have a way of knowing this, but it's probably illegal to text your boyfriend. <laughs> Yes. In a quiz show? <laughs> yeah, I could have called Guess in a an answer line. other than Ed's. Um, uh, Timbers is... 1984. That's soccer? Yeah. Right? Okay. But it's also not what the question is about. Okay. Um, <laughs> just, just making sure. Pele's stunt double from the film Victory. Oh, yeah, actually. Uh, no, it was Air Bud. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't do any Air Bud questions. That just occurred to me. It was really Air Bud. Yeah. Uh, the answer is a man named Sam Bowie. Oh, uh, that's not right. He is considered one of the greatest draft busts in history. He was a seven-foot-tall center. He was very promising. Uh, he had extensive injuries and only played about 139 games in five years, which is pretty low for a basketball player. Uh, he was picked second. Michael Jordan was picked third Whoa. by the Chicago Bulls. So uh, way to go, Rip City. Good choice. Oh. And about 15 years later, they did the exact same thing again. Yeah. Yeah. Got a real tall dude. <laughs> oh, his knees won't break this time. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His nickname was Death Star around the <laughs> locker room. It's not clear why. <laughs> <laughs> now it is Kristen's turn. Yeah. Uh, so how many times has the Perfetti Venmel Candy Factory in Erlinger, Kentucky... 
um, which makes Airheads taffy. Does um, it really? Ha- yeah. How many times has it experienced an explosion on site in the last 12 years? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I hope zero. (laughs) Well, that is that is the first option. A is never. B is twelve, and C is three. And how many years again? In twelve years. In twelve years. I'm going (laughs) twelve. I don't know why this is. What's every year on Christmas morning? Probably (laughs) tragic. Cornstarch is highly explosive. That's true. What is highly explosive? Cornstarch. It aerosolizes really readily. Mm. Yeah, silo explosions are fairly common, mm. and they these are always in the storage silos. Yeah. I'm going to say three. I uh, zero. Point goes to Ed. Um, it is three. Oh. Um, Wait, that's suspiciously well informed, like someone who maybe arranged <laughs> one or well, two. I do have a follow up question, which is how many times did Ed explode it? What was the cause of the explosions? Was it A, friction from the taffy whipping process? Mm. B, sabotage? Static electricity in the uh, sugar storage silos? C, Ed. D. Nobody knows. I'm going to say C. <laughs> I'm going with D. I'm holding out hope. <laughs> yeah, I also, I, I say nobody knows. It's that they've tried to solve it by writing jokes about it and like in code and the wrappers. They didn't work. Nobody's ever answered correctly. Uh, so the, the answer is actually nobody knows. There's, there's an, a sort of a prevailing assumption that, um, that it's static electricity in the in the storage silos because that is very common in various types of storage silos mm-hmm. uh, but yeah the investigations haven't really turned up definitive proof mm. of that one of the things I've learned recently by watching how it's made endlessly with my children mm-hmm. is that quite a lot of candy especially uh, poor insect candy like gummies mm. are made in um, compressed cornstarch trays so cornstarch is put into a tray it's pressed into a mold Candy is poured into it, and then the cornstarch is recycled endlessly. Hmm. And that cornstarch gets airborne in, in the line and in the, in the rooms and is an explosive hazard. That made me picture, like, being a kernel of corn <laughs> and being doomed to that life, not knowing what you ever did wrong. You know, like, I just wanted to grow. I've never thought about a kernel of corn in Be that way. Be a seed, get planted in the dirt. Get exploded in the skillet. Get eaten on the 4th of July. <laughs> yeah. That would have been good. Get grilled, you know. <laughs> Ed, do you have another? No, naturally. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> what right. color is ozone? Ooh. Short to the point. Uh, pink. Green? Clear. Brennan's the closest. <laughs> in a gas form, ozone is um, colorless to a light blue, depending upon concentration. Huh. Once it's condensed cryogenically into a liquid at 161 Kelvin. Wow. Micro Kelvin. It is dark blue. Once it's cryogenically um, more of that into a solid, Ooh. frozen. It turns to a velvet black at 80 Kelvin, which is, just for reference, minus 315.7 degrees Fahrenheit. That's real cold. It's very cold. Yep. Um, Careful, though. 
<laughs> in both its liquid and its solid form, it is extraordinarily prone to detonation <laughs> spontaneously. There's a lot of explosive themes emerging. Yeah. This is and, the uh, the sub theme of the show. And you, you know what I found out about ozone that I didn't know? It's just O3. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just jam that extra oxygen on there. Yeah. Get in there just as hard as you can. It's not going to stay very long. Turns out ozone is also a very active oxidizer. It's got yeah. a lot of oxygen in it. You don't say. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's real eager to get rid of one yeah, of them. Yeah, it's just got to get rid of it. <laughs> right. I, uh, this is not related to the show topic at all, but I was reading a book of collected writings by Hayao Miyazaki, the director. Um, and he was talking about the process they used to animate water in the movie Princess Mononoke. And they were like, ah, oh, well, you know, normally water changes color over the course of a day, but we're just going to use the same color all day because the audience will be confused. And they're like, well, I guess we'll use white, bl- light blue. And uh, one of their animators said, no, water is black. <laughs> and they were like, okay. And they went outside and they looked at some like rivers and lakes from high up and they were like, holy fucking shit, water is black. Yeah. <laughs> Which I encourage you to do. Next time you're like looking down at a river, think water is black and look at it. And suddenly it is. Yep. It's extraordinary. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Like ozone. Anyway. All right. All right. Here's a question. What is acoustic pressure? When your uptight ass neighbors <laughs> get on your case about practicing your guitar late at night. Okay. <laughs> acoustic pressure is what keeps tearing the cones in my woofers. <laughs> oh. It's the uh, band composed entirely of ex-members of Air Supply. <laughs> <laughs> All 26 of them. <laughs> yeah. Acoustic pressure is, is a term for uh, volume of sound. Yes. Mm. So, yeah, it is what, I mean... What I'm hearing is I was right again. Well, actually moving back and forth, I think, is what probably tears the cones in your woofers. So it's actual kinetic mm. pressure mm. doing that. Hi. What's up, everybody? Who still has questions? I know Ed does. I've got a bunch of follow-up questions about Michael Air Jordan that I didn't oh, crap. get to. Oh, crap. I'm sorry. How tall is he? Hi. 6'6"? Okay. Six, six? Michael Air Jordan? Yeah. He's like six foot five. I I was under the impression he was closer to like six feet, six two. Like he's not one of the more gigantic pro Mike players. answered the question about Mike correctly. He's ah. six foot six. All tall Mikes know each other. Yeah. <laughs> they have, He's they have tall. a tall Mikes club. <laughs> I have another question. Where does Michael Jordan, Michael Air Jordan, rank in the listings of richest African Americans? Oh, that dude makes a lot of bank. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's between one and ten. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I would place him in the top ten, but I couldn't rank him exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say he's like below historical um, jelly, jello pop levels of wealth and kind of probably above um, red like, leather jumpsuit levels of wealth. <laughs> I'm sorry, what's a regular low. jumpsuit level of wealth? Red leather, not regular. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, red leather jumpsuit is a regular jumpsuit. Yeah, so naturally. <laughs> They're really all regular jumpsuits. This is really just me getting around forgetting people's names as I'm talking. Uh, I'm going to say fourth. Okay. Mike? I'm going to say fifth. Oh, so close. He's third. Oh. Third. Behind Oprah Winfrey and investor Robert F. Smith. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. The two famous yeah. <laughs> wealthy African-Americans we all know of. <laughs> 
I have one more question about Michael Air Jordan. All right. How many pairs of Nike Air Jordans did Nike give him per season of basketball that he played? One. <laughs> that would be amazing. Both of them are notoriously you, stingy. You, you gotta wear, make this last. Yes, if you wear them out, that's on you, pal. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna say no. See, thinking about saying it out loud makes it ridiculous. A hundred. They gave him a hundred pairs. One per game. Mm, I'm gonna say like I don't know, a couple dozen. Okay. Uh, Mike and Ed are both pretty close. It's three per game. Three Every per game. Every game, he got wow. three pairs of new Air Jordan sneakers. He would wear one, sign the other two, and give them charity. Oh, I was going to say, put one in a box yeah. for collector's value. <laughs> yeah, to save it. Right. That's how he makes all that money. He's got yeah. like, he eBays that shit like mad. But the answer is, uh, yeah, up to uh, they're up to 110 uh, games if you go all the way through the finals in, in a season of basketball. He got three shoe, three pairs of shoes per game. For a total oh. of up to 660 individual shoes. Well, it's not, only, like, it's not like you could afford them. He's only the third wealthiest <laughs> yeah. African American. Yeah, Oprah goes through he a lot of He might not have been in the 90s, though. I, well, I recall reading... Uh, he um, was very wealthy in the yeah. 90s. He did so. all right. He, he, was, he was in like every third commercial that aired. two basketball teams. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I read that in the last couple of seasons that he played regular games... Um, he was making more money off endorsements than he was off. Oh, his, sure. For oh, sure. Oh, by far um, and away. And it was and it was millions of dollars a day. Mm. Do we well, have to, man? Do we have to do a, a show about money at some point? I'd really rather not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I spent enough I can, time. I can, I, this is. I spent enough time thinking about money. Uh, all right. And there's easier ways to depress myself than. Yeah, but we should, you know. Now, now, we Bitcoin. Could, Oh Ooh. God! Here we go. Oh. Here we go. I'm leaving. Fake no, money. Nothing depressing about that. Who here has ever personally deposited or withdrawn cash from a bank through a pneumatic tube? Oh yeah, hell yeah. Oh hi. Yeah. I never. I'm raising have. my hand. I got to do it one time. Oh. Oh, you know what? No, not personally. Not personally. Yeah, right? I've seen it happen. Yeah, I've seen it happen. I never it got was a, there. It was a really big thing in like the late '80s, early '90s, yeah. and so I saw my mom yeah. do it all the time, but. I didn't have my own money at the time, so. And it, it always strikes me as more of a Midwest thing because just drive-throughs at the bank are a little more of a Midwest thing. Mm. Um, but that may also just be totally subject to my own particular There's family a history. At the bank, your very close to my family house. history and your personal uh, lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember doing it when I was a kid in Alaska, and I remember doing it as an adult when I tried joining the army. Yeah, it wasn't my money when I got to do it, but I mm. got to put the thing in the thing, and Still then counts. put the thing in the other thing. It was delightful. Those things are still in use in places like Costco and some larger Walmarts for receipt returns. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. The pneumatic tubes at Costco. I could write a poem. Mm. There's a there's a extensive pneumatic tube system uh, at some sporting venues uh, to issue to move cash between all the concession oh, yeah. stands and, and the central depository. So plot element in the movie Logan Lucky. Whoa. Interesting. I haven't seen that yet. It's good. I recommend it. My head is just spinning with wonder at like pneumatic tube systems. And I just kind of want to say, you know, if anybody has a question, they're just burning to ask. They should ask it now. Uh, But maybe we want to end here. I have one softball final question. Yeah. Okay. Ed, let's hear from you first. 
The River Air in Yorkshire, England, is the birthplace of what breed of dog? <laughs> it is not Airbud. The Portuguese water dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say it's uh, the Clydesdale. The Clydesdale. <laughs> the Cly- Huge dogs. Clydesdale Terrier. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Just a- imagine a- the commercials. Airedale? It is, in fact, the Airedale Terrier. Thank yeah. you. It turns out the River Air runs through Airedale in yeah. Yorkshire, which ah. is the Valley of Air. The Valley of the River Air, presumably. All right. Um, yeah, created by uh, working class breeders in the mid-19th century um, from the Airedale region of Yorkshire. They were combining different a variety of different terriers with an older breed of British dog and some dog called the Otter Dog. Was that a breed of dog or was it just one dog? It was a breed. Okay. It it would have been Otto if it was just one dog. Okay. Brendan, you better be able to follow that up. Uh, You got a dog question? My question's not as good. It's not a dog question. But uh, at some point, we have to get into the fact that I didn't know this when we were researching. I just looked it up now. There was a pneumatic tube mail system in New York City and one in Philadelphia. Oh. For like, I, I had heard that there was one in uh, the UK for a while, but I didn't know that there was one in New York City. A, a municipal system? From 1897 to 1953, they shot it down to conserve funding for the war effort, and also by then they had cars. But <laughs> It was a municipal system, not a building system? Yeah, it was... Huh. They had to sometimes dig up the street to retrieve canisters <laughs> clogged with mail. Woo! Right? Yeah. We think the internet is fast. Fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want pneumatic tubes. I don't, but I do. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's sometimes just, people died because the things exploded. Yeah, no, I don't doubt it. But just, I have this just nameless, unquenchable desire. Pneumatic <laughs> tubes are a great place to put something you want to get from A to B, but you don't particularly care if it blows up in the interim, like okay. passenger cars on a subway train. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like that. That's... I do have a question, though. Uh, it's what's, what, what was the first Airbnb? Oh, the first Airbnb had to be in uh, the Bay Area. And no, no, I'm wrong. <clears throat> I'm, I'm wrong. That's my answer. It was okay. falling water. <laughs> I'm going to say falling the Hearst water. Castle. Yeah. Hearst Castle? <laughs> yeah. Nice one. why not? There are actually 3,000 castles available on Airbnb. That's oh a my God. side trivia. That is a lot of castles. That's so a lot of castles voice of to somebody exist. Yeah, much less to be rentable. There were that many castles in reality. Yeah. Uh, turns out, yeah, you, can do, you could spend 10 years and not finish staying in all the castles on Airbnb. Sounds to me like mm. somebody's thought about Running an yeah. Airbnb castle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a real fun stunt journalism project. Mm-hmm. The answer I is that pitch. Uh, co-founder Brian Chesky had uh, an air mattress on his living room floor that he would rent out. That cheap son of a bitch. Yeah, that was before they made money <laughs> through Airbnb. It was just like <laughs> it was like couch surfing, couch surfing kind of thing. He just had an air mattress on his floor. I bet you dollars the donuts that damn thing still for rent somewhere. He actually kept his couch, not his air mattress, but his couch. As a listing on Airbnb up until 2015. What a jerk. Apparently he was quite nice. (laughs) Very hospitable when people stayed there. Good reviews. Wow. Four stars. Oh my God. We we brought it back around to brands. I wasn't sure we could do it. There's always room for brands. (laughs) People who operated the pneumatic tube system in New York were called Rocketeers. Oh, hell yes. Right? Not airheads? 
<laughs> that term was not invented yet. It was 1897. <laughs> nice. Thank you for listening to Think Again, my friend. The show is produced uh, by all of us except for Ed, who still refuses the title. I don't need that kind of attention. Right. Uh Thank you for tuning us in. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure you can subscribe to us on iTunes, even though we go longer than three weeks before uh, between episodes, which is when it does something. Oh, really? It's three weeks between delistings. Yeah, it will. It will. It will undo something. But I hope it's not you, listener. Oh shit! Um, <laughs> My other podcast hasn't updated in like three years. So. <laughs> it's really tough. Oh boy. Generate random audio every some kind of a kind of anti SEO strategy (laughs) to like Google likes it, no one else does. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Hit us up at thinkagainmyfriend.show and uh, we will come back and entertain you again soon for us. Bye, it's all relative. Crowdfunding together to finally buy tamp.equipment. I still think of that URL more often than I think of our real one. I don't know if buying TAMF equipment will actually help us produce TAMF more rapidly. (laughs) But we can tell people, listen to my show. We can tell them if you need to TAMF, you know where to go. Go on the internet to TAMF.equipment, a real domain name. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about Patreon. Indiegogo. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Yahoo. <laughs> We're just, we should just close by singing commercial jingles. <laughs>